Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, let's talk life on the road with chronic illness. Marin, a type 1 diabetic, developed my sugar case after being approached about her ugly nylon swag bag. If she was going to talk about living with an invisible illness, she figured she'd better make it fashion. Several awards later, My Sugar Case designs and produces diabetes supply bags. But here's the awesome news. They're adjustable and can accommodate a whole lot more than just insulin and glucose monitors. Think all those meds you carry around no matter what you've got going on. A unique and innovative solution that empowers individuals living with chronic conditions to eliminate the uncertainty about storage, public image, and the transport conditions of their medications. My Sugar Case helps patients turn sickness into strength. Use code MSC10. MSC for 10% off yours at amazon.com. Okay, guys, I am here with Lauren Reimer. She is also known as Pretty Couch Potato. You might know her from social media. Um, And she's here to talk to us about living with chronic illness. She herself lives with chronic illness, and she's also a chronic illness community connector, which she's going to tell us all about. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I know, me too. We've been texting for a while. We've been like sending these emails. This is, it's finally happened. And it's like, oh, hey, you're my old friend. I know you real well. Yes. yes. (laughs) Now we get to see each other's faces in real time. Here we are. Exactly. Exactly. So look, let's start from the very beginning. Let's like go back to basics. When and how did you first realize you had something going on? So, um, I've been ill since I was about four years old. Mm. Um, and you know, I don't really have distinct memories of that. I just remember like my belly hurting a lot. Um, but yeah, we, and you know, we went to like, I was from the panhandle of Texas where it's like super small town. Like I went to my doctor that like delivered me as a baby, like, cause he's <laughs> the doctor of the town. Yeah. Um, and you know, they didn't really know what was going on. It wasn't, it didn't seem like anything crazy. It wasn't, whenever it was on setting, it was not like, kabam, like everything's terrible. It was kind of a gradual, um, development situation. So and it was mostly tummy aches and pain and yeah. digestive issues. Yeah. 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 Mm. Um, and I hadn't experienced anything, you know, like as a baby. So, um, it was a new thing. It wasn't like it had been happening since birth or anything. So it was mm. a new, a new situation. Um, but yeah. And then as things started to progress, we, I remember going, so I had an aunt who lived in the Dallas area. Um, and I remember going to the children's hospital there for some testing. I couldn't tell you what those tests were. Maybe my mom or dad could, I, Mm. I don't know. I kind of blocked that. Like that's, you know, I was probably also when you're really young, like how do you really like absorb the science of all of it? You know, exactly. Um, and so, uh, 
yeah, so we went on that trip and of course I don't remember anything, but basically up until, um, I was about 13 years old, it was like, it's all in our head. Um, mm-hmm. I had like from the ages of like four ish, five ish to like seven, mm-hmm. I had actually like eight, probably I had, um, four really close people to me die. So like tragically, wow. um, so my grandma died, my grandpa died, my uncle died. And my second grade teacher all died within like mm. a span of a couple of years. Like my second grade teacher, while I was in her class, like our teacher died. Oh, whoa. In a, in a car wreck. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's very yeah. traumatic. So like, you know, like, yeah, doctors, maybe, but, um, but there was a lot of telltale signs that it was not just an anxious stomach but it sounds like they were writing it off as, okay, she's experienced a lot of trauma. She's mm-hmm. under a lot of duress. Yeah. This little girl is stressed out and that's why she's having a, a bellyache. Right. And what's funny is like now in 2019, <laughs> we would, we would expect that those doctors had that been the case, like they would have pre- like hooked me up with some sort of therapy situation, but that yeah, wasn't... at the very least, but also like, <laughs> this is the thing is that sometimes like in small towns, for example, right? Exactly. Like there's not always the access to mental mm-hmm. health care. And also when we were growing up, like, yeah, it, that's not the kind of thing you really talked about. Like it yeah. wasn't until sort of the late nineties that it became cool to talk about mental health care. Cause Kurt Cobain died. You know what I mean? Like, right. Well, and it's funny cause I'm, I'll be 27 next in here in a little bit. And mm. Um, so I was, it was like in the nineties, Yeah, but it's, I mean, probably more like Southern small town. So yeah, probably like in the big city, like New York, Maybe. California would probably. Like even then, like when I think about the mental health thing, like I've been going to therapy for years and years. When did I actually tell my friends that I went to therapy? Probably not until I was like in my late twenties. Right. And then I was yeah. like, by the way, I've been going for 20 years. You know? Right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think. I think it's become a more acceptable conversation, but it's certainly not something that was openly discussed when we were kids, when we were growing up. And it's not something that like doctors really thought to prescribe necessarily, unless they were already connected to a mental health network, which required being in a a town with a big hospital and things like that. So you just, if you don't have the access, you didn't have the access. Right. Which is super funny. Cause like I kind of am in, I mean, I'm in Arkansas. I'm in like Mm. where the university of Arkansas is. So it's not like a small town. But like, I went to a PCP appointment this morning and she was like, do you want to hook up with any like mental health situation? And so Mm. like, it happened, like it, it is happening, which is amazing. There's Um, been a sea change for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it can always be improved too, but absolutely it's, it's beginning to improve, which is great news. So, okay. So when did you actually get diagnosed? When did the doctor start taking you seriously and how did that all go down? Yeah. So on top of the, um, it, you know, all in your head talk. Yeah. It was that Which I is like, this is a story we've heard before, especially yes. among women. So many, so many times. Yeah. Um, so it was also that I ate too much cheese. So like, you know, I did all these right. like practice diets, none of them worked. So eventually I went in, um, you know, and it's super weird because I had like a lot of, you know, they do tons of like barium swallow. Let's watch how things digest. Let's, let's do this. Well, you know, stuff was hanging out in my stomach for like hours and hours and hours. And they'd be like, okay, we're closing. Like it's not gone anywhere. Bye. Mm. But like, there was no one saying, oh, this is weird until someone was like, hey, let's get in there and take a look. Um, 
of the actual organ and see what's happening. Mm. So this was when I was 13 years old. I went in and um, had a full thickness biopsy of my small bowel. And that's when they diagnosed me with chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction, Mm. um, which basically means like the, the muscles in my intestine just aren't doing their job. And so they're not doing the like worm like movement to move food through the paracelsis isn't there. Um, and they're also like super dilated. And then like in some areas they're super like not, I don't know what's the opposite of dilated. Uh, <laughs> like, like, like narrowed narrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's like a scarring and like mm. super weird stuff going on in there. And so they were like, Oh, we've got a, like, we've, this is a problem. Um, and why do they call it pseudo obstruction and not just obstruction? Yeah. So when obstruction would be like, if your intestine was actually twisted or if it, you had a blockage of something like if a, a tumor, like that would be considered mm-hmm. an obstruction. So it'd be like a mechanical obstruction. Um, but mine, I've never actually had a volvulus or a twist or a blockage or anything, but my guts act as if they are obstructed. Right. Like they just don't go. They just, yeah. Yeah. So, um, they are still always super dilated, always super all the things, Mm. um, no matter what. So, um, that's when the diagnosis happened. And then it was, it was nice to have a name to the, to the chaos. Like mm. what was the thing that was causing the chaos? So we had a name for it. Yeah. And, and of when course, you have a name, you can be my to parents, treat, right? Well, <laughs> ah, uh-huh. ah, yeah. Mine isn't really a treatable. It's mm. a managementable mm. um, situation. So at this point, I'm 13 years old and I weigh about 65 pounds. Wow. Which is really small for a 13 year old. Yeah. Human who's supposed to be like growing um, and doing that type of stuff. So there are signs of malnutrition at the very yeah, least. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So like my belly always looked like it was like a pregnant. thousand years pregnant, like yeah. 400 children. Like, yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And so my, and my arms were like super thin and my legs and like mm. all of that, everything, but my belly was just like sticks and, mm. um, so definitely malnutrition. And I was going to the hospital a lot where I would, cause I would throw up pretty much everything. Wow. Even though I was, because I was so full of stuff that wasn't moving anywhere. So there was nowhere for it to go. Mm. So I was throwing up pretty much every day. And, um, you know, when you throw up your electrolytes, get whacked, you're dehydrated, you're, you know, all those things. And I would end up in the hospital and my hands and feet would be doing this like claw like thing. Mm. Cause and I don't, they never really did give us like an explanation of why that happens, but like just with dehydration, I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I'd like claw up and then they would just pretty much give me some fluids and be like, all right, you're good. Bye. Right. And not like here, let's treat the actual long-term condition here. Or let's like, just... let's look at what's happening. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, ERs, you know, that's not what they're. Yeah. That's not what they're designed for, is, but so... yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. So you say, you know, it's, yeah. we're, it's time to treat. Well, pseudo-obstruction, there's no cure. There's no, like, this is exactly what we're going to do and this is going to work for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I mean, I had to have nutrition. Like, I was so 
nutritionally depleted that there was no question. Yeah. And I, I can't remember the timeline of, I've written this out and my dad knows, but my brain can't hold all of the dates and all of the <laughs> months and years. Um, but it wasn't too long after the, this diagnosis that I ended up admitted at Children's Hospital in Dallas and they started TPN, which is total parenteral nutrition. Mm. Um, and so that was when and I started getting to our listeners as well, what that yeah, so, looks like. Absolutely. So still on this treatment. I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So TPN is total parenteral nutrition. Um, some will call it HPN for home parenteral nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, parenteral is not, it's not parental. It's parenteral. <laughs> yep. And it is IV nutrition. So it's bypassing the digestive tract and going, it goes straight into your a major vein and it's broken down for your body to just accept the nutrition. And it just, it's as broken down as possible nutrition mm. that goes straight into your veins. Um, now, does this mean that you're eating solid foods as well? And then having this as sort of a, a complement to so eating? that point? Yes. Mm. Um, at that point I was still were, eating and you were about 13 still. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I was 13 when I started and, um, yeah, so I was eating food and doing the TPN supplemental. Like I, at this point, didn't know that people were, went home in PO, which is right. you know, food by mouth. Like I, that wasn't a thing that I knew. And also you have to remember that I'm, I'm almost 27. And for listeners out there who like have been on social media since your health situation began in when was this? 13 years ago, 2000, what? Uh, 2006, 2005, 2006. Yeah. 2005, 2006. That's like when Facebook maybe just began mm. and like probably was just for college students at that point. Is that yeah. what you that's right? So social media was not a thing really. Like you would go on like weird forums, which I was young and that wasn't really a safe place for me to be. So I mm. didn't do that. Um, but I just, just as a side note, like you know, when I talk about not knowing things, it's because it wasn't readily available to me on Instagram. Like it is. Um, it's wild to me how many people know what TPN is when they've never been on that therapy, like in this online community, it Mm. blows my mind. Cause I like before this, people didn't know that existed. Anyway, all of that to say, um, what was I saying? You were saying, well, I'd asked you, um, basically you were still eating solid food then. Yes. Right. Yes. So what does it look like now? So it is, it's changed. So my, mm. you're still on TPN now. I am. Yes. Yeah. So let me just, so at the, in the beginning it mm. was supposed to, I mean, everyone goes on TPN like expecting to come off whether or not that happens. It just depends on how things go. Like, mm. it's not like, not everyone goes on expecting it off. I, take that back. Some people know from the get-go that it's a lifelong thing. Mm. I did not. Um, but every time I, like for the first few months, like I was on seven days a week, ran it. It's a huge bag of fluid that runs overnight or during the day, whatever. So if it's running overnight or during the day and you're saying it goes in a major vein, does that mean you're sort of like stabilizing an arm so that it goes in? Oh no, I have a central line. So my central line is in my chest. Yes. Um, so no, not a typical IV that you would picture in the hospital. It's more of a permanent line. Um, most people are more, most familiar with ports. Um, mm. 
mine is mine doesn't access and deaccess with a needle like a port does. Mine is always accessed. I have a Hickman catheter that mm. um, it's a tunneled catheter that's in my chest. Um, so does that mean you're also carrying a bag around with you all the time? At, not all the time. I've always only infused at nighttime. Okay. Cause my body tolerates that. Some people's don't. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I would infuse over, you know, overnight and, um, for the first few months, it was every day. And then I would, you know, then it started becoming this pattern where I'd go to the doctor. They'd be like, great, you're doing amazing. Let's knock a day off. Mm. Great. You're doing amazing. So we would, we would play this game. And then I was down to three days a week for several years, Mm. um, with supplemental hydration if I needed it. And I was doing okay. Like my belly still hurt all the time. Mm. Um, and I was still like throw up and end up in the hospital and all the stuff, nothing really ever, it didn't really change, but, but I was, I had nutrition and I wasn't like, you know, I had gained weight, which was right. Great. Yeah. So you weren't visibly sick at that point. Yeah. I mean, my belly still looked really, really big, but right. for the most part doing pretty well. And then when I was about 20 years old, um, so TPN affects the liver and they don't, super know why it's the most suspected is the fat content that we get intravenously. Mm. The liver doesn't love that. It, well, it hates that the most, but just not metabolizing food. Normally your Mm. body's just like, why are we doing this? I'm going to freak out a little bit. Um, so my doctor was like, Hey, like you're doing pretty well. You want to see how you do without TPN. So Mm. at this point I'm down to three days. I'm like, heck yeah. Like I am ready to be done with you, that, this and everything. Like get me out of here. Mm. So I'm like, yeah. And so for the next year I was off TPN. Basically my doctor sent me home and was like, just try to eat as many high calorie, low fat, low fiber foods as you possibly can. Mm. What does that mean? (laughs) Apparently it means a lot of, I know ice cream has a lot of fat in it, but it's like, you know, it's, it's also got sugar <laughs> and it's, and it's like super melty in your gut. Yeah. I think it'd work. Um, and a lot of Kit Kats, Kit Kats are very high calorie. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so basically that's what I did and things went downhill pretty mm. quickly. And I Do you was, you think that's because they didn't like give you proper nutrition counseling? Like at that point, like they're telling you, here's the foods like here's the kinds of foods you should eat, but they're not sitting down with you or like setting you up with a nutritionist to be like, let's create a plan for you. Um, maybe. Mm. And also the fact that like my body cannot sustain itself. Right. It right. just can't. So this is what you discovered going off TPN. Yes. And my doctor was doing this as an experiment, but my doctor also isn't like my mom and can't like call me and be like, Hey, like you need to come in to see me like right. now because she's not managing anything at this point. And I was just like 20 and ready to like never see her again yeah. Not because I didn't like her, but just because like <laughs> you were young and you wanted to have like a life. Yes. Yeah. So that went really bad. I also ended up, um, hearing that a group of very like naturopathy people were going to heal me. Um, they decided that I actually had parasites and like, were telling me all the stuff that I believed Mm. at the time. And they put me on the opposite diet, which was no sugar, no carbs, Mm. all fat, all fiber. And And was that something that was recommended by your doctor? It was something you decided to explore. No, she would have lost her mind. Well, she did find out eventually, Mm -hmm. but, um, 
Yeah. So they were like, yeah, we're going to heal you. And the way to kill parasites is by starving them. Starving them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't have parasites. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had like a a pathology report saying like my muscles do not work, but you know, (laughs) but at that point it sounds like you were sort of young and slightly naive and like willing to, willing to try anything as well. Yeah. And also just, you know, you use the word heal at me and yes. Like it sounds like magic. Yeah. Magical. So, but this um, is the thing with chronic conditions, right? The word chronic exists because the healing, you may be able to manage the symptoms, but it doesn't mean that you'll ever necessarily be able to heal the condition. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. a thing that I like to say to people is like the K like at first it's chaos, but then you, it turns into self care. Yeah. And, and that's what, I sh- didn't realize at the time, like, mm. you know, so anyway, I, I, I hung out off TPN for about nine months. It was terrible. Decided I was going to fly out to California to be- stay with my aunt for a while. Cause I just wanted to like, I don't know. I mean, I but knew it wasn't going well, but mm. I, I wouldn't weigh myself. I wouldn't like do any of the things that I should have done. Well, and um, as a young woman too, this has got to give you like a pretty dysfunctional relationship with food in general, right? Like in a oh, in yeah. a world where we're already taught to have a dysfunctional relationship with our bodies, your body is in dysfunction with you, right? <laughs> so it's like you're already receiving all these signals and and stimuli that are telling you that everything about you is broken, but like legitimately something inside you isn't working the way it's supposed to, and that must have been yes. hard to accept. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Um, cause I do, I hear a lot of people's stories, like they kind of go through this rebellious phase, like kind of more towards the beginning of getting diagnosed, but I kind of had to develop into the, like, I had to become like an adult to be like, yeah, yeah screw this. <laughs> right. This doesn't have to exist. Um, so for I you think, it came later just because you've been six yeah. since you were younger. Yeah. Like seven years later. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, you know, had to drop out of college. I moved across the country to Oregon to go to college and like had to leave there. Like nothing, yeah. no jobs were working out. Like it was just, it was really devastating at the time to like figure yeah. out what my life was going to be like. Um, so after those several months, um, I, anyway, I went to California, mm-hmm. um, I flew in to stay with a friend and my aunt was going to come get me a couple days later, but I called her that next morning and I said, Aunt Judy, like I have, like we have to go to the hospital now. Like mm-hmm. this is not okay. Um, also those naturopath people were emailing back and forth with me and I was like, this is something isn't right. Like I'm, I can't even get myself out of bed. And they were mm-hmm. like, well, things get worse before they get better. But you know, if you think you need medical attention, like blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Go get medical attention. Yeah. Yeah. But I just hated the way that they, mm-hmm. uh, so, well, it sounds like the, those people didn't serve you right because they didn't even acknowledge the fact that the condition you had existed. Existed, exactly. In like a weird yeah. way that like we're not used to in the normal Western medicine world. Right. <laughs> um, it's great that you explored other options that were available to yeah. you. Even if you found out that they weren't the right ones for you, at least you tried them. I tried them. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, ended up in the hospital after they vacked everything that was stuck in my guts out, I weighed 80 pounds. Um, I, I, I had about 20 pounds of crap hanging out in my belly, if not more. I don't even remember. Um, and that's when I had to restart TPN. And Mm -hmm. since then, 
um, up until just about a month or two ago, I've been on seven days a week, 12 hours overnight. And a couple of months ago, I got to knock down one day a week, which was like so exciting. That hasn't yeah. been a thing for, you know, seven years and super cool. Um, yeah. To, to experiment with that, but yeah, being very so, mindful of my body and what it's doing. So does that mean that like on a daily basis, you're still living with chronic pain? I, I do not affiliate myself to like, not affiliate. I don't identify as having chronic pain. I, mm. I call mine more like chronic discomfort almost. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause you're, you're able to sort of live despite it or live with it. Right. Yeah. And it's not that it's like, ow, this hurts kind of pain. It's like my rib cage is, it, it's been like expanded because of how much stuff I've like all those years of like my belly being so distended, not having any, like, so my rib cage is big and mm. I don't know, just kind of like tight feeling. So I really hate wearing I hate wearing clothes to be completely like who doesn't, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, so, so there is discomfort, not only sort of like on your skin and, and in direct contact with your body, but then there's mm-hmm. also the, the direct like belly discomfort too. So actually my belly discomfort has decreased so much because on, so once I started TPN again, it took a couple of years, but I basically, I went home in PO at that point Mm. because my body was like, yeah, no, we're not accepting any new clients. (laughs) Right. Um, an NPO meaning, sorry, NPO meaning no food by mouth. Right. Um, And a couple years later I ended up getting a J tube, which is a a tube that goes into your jejunum, which is a portion of the small intestine. And typically they are not placed to drain, but mine was, Mm. And so I was able to let a lot of air out, um, get a lot of stuff out that was just hanging out in there. And then, um, so you're not using the J tube for feeding. No, no, Mm -hmm. my guts are not hanging out with tube feeds yet, possibly in the future, you know, trials. Um, but we actually placed the J tube because my stomach is there's gut that over that's in between my abdominal wall and my stomach. Mm. And so they, they couldn't have, because we didn't want to puncture gut right. <laughs> going into the stomach. Um, so that's why they placed my J-tube. But then a few months later, things weren't even able to get to that point to drain. And wow. I was still vomiting stuff that was just being produced by my stomach. Wow. That's the thing that a lot of people don't understand. You know, when you, you know, somebody like has the flu or something or the stomach, whatever. Yeah. And they're like, well, I'm still throwing up and I'm not even eating anything. I'm like, you're like, that's my oh, life. Like, it doesn't matter whether or not you're putting stuff in there. Like you're producing no matter what is Mm. happening. Um, so I was still vomiting. And so ended up, so now I have a G which goes into your stomach tube and Mm. a J tube. And so I'm able to use both of those for venting, um, meds, whatever I need to. Right. So in terms of what you're able to put in your body, is it just TPN now? Like, can you eat solid foods? So yeah, I do eat solid food thanks to my draining tubes. So Ah. it's worth it to like getting a piece of pizza is not as hard as you would think out of a small tube in your stomach. Um, <laughs> it takes some skill. Um, yeah. I always tell people that are like, how do you do this? I'm like, I wish I could teach you a class, but it would be the grossest class of all time. <laughs> I 
<laughs> um, but it's not, this is also separate from a colostomy or, or ostomy bag, right? Like, so right. it's not like you're using it to, to actually pass stuff Mm-mm. because it's been all the way through your stomach. You're actually using it to pass it before it goes through. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So it's, uh, uh, it's not as digested in that sense, I guess. Yeah. It's pretty much like throw up. Yeah. But you do it it's from your stomach like, instead of your mouth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So when you're eating solid foods, it's more like for fun and for taste. And you yes. know that you're going to have to use your tubes later on to remove the foods. Yes. Um, things have gotten a little bit better. Like I kind mm-hmm. of experiment like, okay, maybe that food probably wouldn't be happy going through my gut, but maybe like a piece of, maybe a grilled cheese would be fine. Cause it's very like mild. It's not like got spices or anything, mm-hmm. which kind of make my gut upset. Um, so sometimes I'm like, all right, let's see how you do. And then, you know, we play and whatever. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, some of my games I'm playing are going well because I've gained some weight and they haven't added any calories to my IV nutrition. So, you know, like it's just, it's really just, it's different every day and it's a game every day. It's just, yeah. Absolutely. So is it something where like, I mean, obviously this is stuff we're not, we can't see it from the outside. Right. But you've got your central line on your chest. Mm -hmm. You've got a couple of tubes in your stomach. Mm -hmm. So this is stuff that like, it's visible if you've got your top off kind of thing. Right. And you recently walked a fashion show. I did. That was like an accessible fashion show where clothes were designed to work around your various accoutrements. Yeah. Well, uh, not the whole fashion show. <laughs> no, <laughs> just the pieces but, you were wearing. <laughs> yes, I did. Um, a friend of mine, uh, who's a plus size model was posting about it. One of our local designers who was looking for some, you know, different models, like out of the norm models, I guess. What are, what do we call us? Whatever we are. I mean, this is, this is also normal people. Like we have to normalize the, all of this being well, normal. So absolutely. Yeah. What do we but, call ourselves? Just people, people just who aren't people. models. Yes. Like yeah. everyday normal models. Mm. Um, and I was like, that might be really fun. Like, yeah, put me in touch with her. And Rosie was like, yeah, girl, you're in. I was like, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, so it was so empowering terrifying and empowering is very, it was a really cool day. So, um, actually I had, so I had a crop top on, mm. um, and we actually tucked the shirt cause it kind of like went a little bit below my G tube cause it's a little higher up. And so she was like, let's just tuck it in your bra and like, yeah, it'll just show it. There. yeah. Um, and my central line didn't show, but I was connected to a bag of fluids and she made me a clear backpack that I wore. That's um, awesome down the runway too. Um, so it's, it's pretty cool. That's really great Uh, for awareness raising. And then in, in terms of with chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction, Uh am I correct? There there we go. Um, is this a common illness? Is this something that like, you're a very rare case? Like how did you, have you found other people like you? Yes, it is not common. Mm -hmm. Um, I honestly don't like, you know, with Google, like usually you can search a diagnosis and it'll tell you about like how many people out of this many people have it. Yeah. If you Google it, it doesn't have that statistic oh, at all. Um, and so That's how a few people have it. <laughs> yeah. Which mm. I think, so I have a group of girls who we all connected when one of our C 
well, CIPO is like the CIPO, acronym yeah. for it. So CIPO for chronic intestinal pseudo obstruction. Um, one of our girls passed away after transplant didn't go well and we connected. And so we have a little group chat and I feel like there's probably nine of us. Right. Um, and you're all over the country. We're all over the country. Um, and yeah. And then actually when I first moved to Arkansas, I was really struggling to find a doctor situation, which (laughs) never worked out, but that's fine. Um, Texas is great for that. So, um, when I was, I posted in a Facebook group and, um, a mom commented back and she was like, Oh my goodness. I live in Fayetteville with my daughter who has CPO. Oh, wow. And is literally like your twin with an ostomy. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And so, yeah, so we're pals. She's that's great. I, I always, she like is so mature for her age that I think she's like 14, but I know she's not. She's, she's like 11. <laughs> if me, if I'm wrong guys, I know yeah. you'll listen to this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so she, um, so you are connecting to people and this is one of the skills that you have, which we will get to, but yeah, it sounds like, I mean, the main thing here is that you've built a community around yourself. Right. And you mentioned like your, your dad being helpful with doctor's appointments and things like that. And I'm wondering if you discovered along this journey to where you're at now, where like things are pretty stable, but you needed a personal advocate at any point. And like, was it your dad? Did you have to become your own advocate? What's that journey look like for you? So my dad always always encouraged me. Like he was, he would always say before every doctor's appointment, before, you know, we did anything like you're your best advocate, like Mm -hmm. use your voice, use your voice. Um, which has served me really well. Um, of course, if I needed any words to be said for me, which, Mm. you know, when things get weird, that sometimes is necessary. And when you're a kid and it's a little more confronting. Yeah. Um, being a kid in children's hospital. So I was actually on the patient advocate team at children's because there was a teenager group that was like, we are not two. You talk to our face. You don't <laughs> talk to our parents. Like we yeah. can be a part of it. So, um, so I was, yeah, I've been advocating for myself since pretty Very early on a yeah. long time ago. It's yeah. Wonderful. And especially if you're connecting to other patients who are advocating for themselves like you are, I'm sure that was also empowering to be around, whether it was mm-hmm. for the same illness or not. Oh yeah. We were all over the map. We were just basically telling them to stop treating us like we were four years old. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, there's, yeah. I mean, there are groups that are formed to address that very, mm-hmm. that very need. So yeah. What about balancing the demands of work and life? You mentioned before we started this interview that it's hard to, you know, work consistently because you're working around your symptoms and you're working around what your body needs. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like for you as you're fitting into this nine to five expectation in the world, Um, you know, and and finishing college and having to leave college because of all of your, your Mm -hmm. issues there? What has that looked like as you've found yourself, found your feet and found your, your career path? Yeah, I feel like I'm definitely still laying the bricks for my career path. That's yeah, sure. well, you're only 27. That's fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, at the, in this day and age, you probably shouldn't like know what you're doing until you're about like 45, 50. Yeah, like, I, I think like... that's that's pretty much the range right now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> perfect. I'm glad I'm on the right track. Yeah, you're um, totally, you're in a great place. <laughs> perfect. So um, 
yeah, finding my, my path in the work world was very, it was a huge struggle. Yeah. Um, Very fraught. It sounds like. Yes. So I made it. So I got a full tuition scholarship to this amazing art school in Oregon. I, that had always been my dream. I was like, I'm going to move far away. I'm going to get a (laughs) bunch of money to go. It's going to be fabulous. Yeah. My dream came true. And then I was there for nine months and like, Mm. it was horrendous. Like I was like, this is, I'm, I need help. Um, so came home, decided that I didn't want to move back in with my family because, you know, I'm such an adult at 19 <laughs> years old. And yep. I decided I wanted to be a live-in nanny. This episode is sponsored by Ember Labs, creators of the Ember Wave, the intelligent bracelet that helps control how you experience temperature. I'm heat sensitive, and this device has been a lifesaver. Using patented technology, it cools or warms the temperature-sensitive skin on your wrist creating a natural response in your body and mind that helps you thermally adjust in minutes. It was selected by Time Magazine as one of 2018's best inventions. For those of you with mounting medical costs to consider, the team at Ember offer a payment plan in partnership with a firm. And because you listen to Uninvisible Pod, they are offering you $30 off. Go to emberlabs.com, that's E-M-B-R labs.com, enter code INVISIBLE30, that's INVISIBLE30 at checkout, and experience personal thermal wellness on a whole new level with me. Oh, taking care of other people. Mm, taking a care choice. Of a choice for <laughs> sure. Um, that was terrible also. Mm. And then I decided I was going to be an insurance agent. Oh, okay. Not so much good at that. Well, I, there's always stable work in that field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because it sounds like at heart you're creative, right? Like, I am. Yeah. That was, I I had, I knew the family that owned the insurance agency and they knew that I was like trying to figure out my life and they were like, Hey, want to try this? I was like, right. That's cool. (laughs) Maybe she'll stick with us. (laughs) Maybe. Um, yeah. And then I tried nannying again and then I was like, yeah, my body, I have to take care of me. And, uh, so So does that, that means that you're like, you have to work remotely or work from home largely. Yeah. So for several years, I was just strictly on disability. I mean, I was in and out of the hospital constantly. Um, and, but, but then a year and a half ago, I got a job, um, that is from home. It's a Mm part-time job, um, where I get to help others find the best TPN care for them. Um, wow. So it's very specialized to your, your skill (laughs) set, really. Yes. Very, very specialized. and I love getting what I get to do. Um, mm. I love when people have the epiphany of like, oh my goodness, this could be helpful for me. Mm. And then getting to see like when it is helpful for them. Um, yeah. Cause I'm usually still in contact with, you know, the people I'm working with and um, usually. Lovely. So it's also expanding your network of people who either have similar conditions or the same condition, I imagine. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure it's really helpful for them to also be dealing with someone who gets it. Yes. I think that that is where my expertise, you know, most people have never heard of anybody being on TPN for more than a year. Mm. Um, A lot of times TPN is referred to as a last resort therapy, which, okay, Mm. maybe, but it's also very life-giving therapy that I'm thankful for every single day. Mm. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there um, that that actually limits people 
from getting the care that they need. And, you know, if they need TPN, like they'll wait years and starve and starve and starve uh, and finally. So it's not something so, that's readily available or prescribed. Gosh, no, yeah. no. If you look up a statistic, so the only statistic I can find online is that 40,000 people a year are on TPN in the U.S. That's not a lot. <laughs> that is not a lot. And if you factor in the fact that like a pregnant woman who's in the hospital bed, you know, bed rest before the baby comes Mm. possibly needs TPN. There's her, there's people, um, that are getting TPN in like actual end stages of life that Mm. are just using it to sustain if they can't swallow or whatever it is. Um, there's all these people that are on very short term. And so if you eliminate all those people, which there's a lot of them, Mm. there's also all the NICU babies who, you know, can't, eat or whatever it is. And so all of us long timers, there's very few of us. Right. And so when people talk to me and they're like, what? 13 Mm. years? Like I thought that I, that I was going to die soon. And I'm like, no honey. No problem. You'll be fine. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't say that. Yeah. 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 Cause you don't, you don't know what, you know, what. Well, and you mentioned also a friend of yours having a transplant that didn't go well. Like, is that something have doctors talked to you about your long, long-term care and, and the prognosis for you long-term? So, like, well, does it look like a transplant? What does that look like? At this point? No. Mm, that's um, good. When I was in California restarting TPN, they definitely did say, there was mention of like, hey, we think we need to take you up to UCLA to be evaluated for transplant. Mm. That was terrifying. At that yeah. point, there were only 12 centers in the US. I did all the research from my hospital bed. I was like, of course. where should I go? Um, but at this point, no, um, I have plans to go. I need to be known by a transplant surgeon just in case, right. you know, right. my, my doctors advised me for that. To, and it would be intestines that. that you'd be having so typically, if so, you typically you get a multivisceral transplant. So you get you get a liver, a pancreas, a wow. stomach, a small bowel, and a large bowel. If wow. anybody's listening to me and they know that that's not true, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure that those are the five organs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's I mean that's in that's like basically your whole middle section. <laughs> yeah, like, just like collapse it all. Yep, take the, it all out replace it all. And that's got to be hugely intense. And I imagine there's a lot of bed rest for something like that. So if you were in a position to be having a transplant, that's something where like you would be under lock and key for infections for a while and you'd have your recovery period. I mean, it's not just like you get a new system and everything's hunky dory. No. And a lot of people who do, who have gotten transplants are still on TPN, which is interesting. Um, Yeah, that is interesting. Because it's sometimes just that's the way your body's going to yeah. react to these new organs anyway. It's very interesting. So yeah. what about justifying your illness to other people? We know that as a kid, as you were waiting for your diagnosis, which you didn't get until you were a young teenager, mm-hmm. we know that the doctors were like, she's been through trauma. She's, you know, she's depressed, whatever. And like also did nothing about that. But <laughs> have you been in positions in your adult life where you've been confronted and you've had to be like, would you like to see my J tube or, or, you know, I cannot eat solid foods all the time. Or, you know, like where you've had to say to people or even like going on dates and things and being like, let's not eat for dinner. You know, what does that (laughs) look like in your world? Yeah. Fortunately, not a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'm kind of, I think I kind of put on this like no bullshit yeah. face. Like I, you're, well, I also you're, you're, you've got quite a following on social media as well. So you're very much living your life out loud and being like, this is yeah. me. This is how it goes. Yeah. Um, I feel like sometimes the most embarrassing things that like when I get most embarrassed is whenever I order something at a restaurant, cause I can't eat vegetables mm. and I can't have a, like, if it's like a, I don't know, there's like lots of spices and stuff I can't mm. deal with. Um, so you need which really come, plain stuff. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah, I'll have <laughs> a slice I'll of bread, please. <laughs> I'll have the potatoes with the other potatoes and the other potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to come to Fayetteville and have a meal with you. Yes. Because <laughs> I will also have the potatoes with the other potatoes and the Perfect. potatoes on the side. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. And so, like, I – sometimes it's – it's not – I don't know. Like, some waiters will say a weird thing, like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> Do you like potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, like, if I say, I don't want – this vegetable, this vegetable, or this vegetable. I mean, like, but there's a lot of people who are my age who do order that way. Yeah. It's no becoming more normal because of, I mean, honestly, because of diet culture, but also because we're yeah. more aware of food sensitivities too. Yeah. But also like adults not eating vegetables is, yeah. is what I'm mostly talking about. <laughs> like you're talking about picky eaters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like I've never the stories with the, you know, you always hear the like, uh, handicap placard getting out, mm. somebody saying something. I've never had that happen, but when I do, damn it, the shirt's going up. I better not <laughs> be wearing a jumpsuit. Like if I'm wearing a jumpsuit that day, I'm going to be, I guess I'm just going to un like, can't you just sort of at least show that you can at least show your port? Like, yeah, there we go. I have a disability, damn it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that I want that to happen. I just, yeah. you know, but that is always a common story. And like, it is a common story for that is important, I think, because it's yeah. especially as a young and, and seemingly able bodied person. Right. Right. You know? And I don't use it all the time because I don't need it all the time. But when right. I do, like, um, well, actually, when I, when I requested it from my doctor, the nurse, you know, I said, is, this would be really nice to have when we go to concerts or we go to wherever that, where there's like a ton of far away parking. Yes, and yes, she yes. was like, she was like, well, don't tell me that. And I was like, but, okay, but I don't think you understand. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm literally, I should be able to go to those me. things too. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So I, there's, a, there's some kind of miss understanding or, or mm -hmm. misinterpretation that people who live with disabilities aren't fully participating in life. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately it happened so quickly and I think it like shocked me so fast you and she was probably out of the room yet. so fast that I didn't even like, it just replays in my head sometimes. Like I'm like, yeah. why did I not say something about that? Um, so it sounds like for you, and I, I like that you're answering in this way because for you, this has always been normal. This has always been the norm. So yes. there's never been a question of, gee, will it be weird? And will they judge me if I mm -hmm. ask for these accommodations? You just do it. So do it. whether that's, you know, something inside you or something that was taught to you by your, your parents, you know, things like that, mm -hmm. like you are very much on your path and, and not concerned about other people's opinions. Yeah, no, that's no, no. great. That's awesome. I, if anything, like I'm not, I'm also very much not an asshole. If someone <laughs> yeah. 
so something out of like not okay I'm very much more there to educate like I want to be like listen Right, right. No, that's not okay. Like I'm that person. You're patient, which is also, I mean, that's, that's one of those things. Like I talk to people and we acknowledge that like, it's also not our requirement Mm -hmm. with chronic illness to always educate people. But when you have the energy to do it, it's really wonderful to be able to do that. Cause at least then you're not being like, I can't talk to you. Bye. You know, right. you're explaining why. And then people perhaps will gain a broader understanding. Mm-hmm. So what about privilege? Um, you know, I'm wondering if privilege or a lack thereof, because especially as you'd said about the early days of being diagnosed and not having access to certain healthcare um, mm-hmm. requirements, like has, has that played a role in your health journey? And have you experienced like undue judgment or prejudice in the healthcare symptom? Uh, or sorry, healthcare system simply because you identify as female and live with what a lot of people might call an invisible illness, you know, being written off as an hysterical young woman (laughs) when you were a kid, you know, what is, what about that for you? Yeah. I think being female didn't, didn't do me any favors. No. Just in that aspect. Mm -hmm. Um, I do feel very, I mean, I'm a white cisgendered female. Mm. And I think every time I'm in the hospital, I think about like, what, what are the, what are these staff members who like tell me I'm their favorite patient? Like, what are, how are they treating their other patients? Like, yeah. Um, I also, this is something that I've started getting concerned about is getting older. Mm. Cause I was always like the fun teenager patient. Mm young 20s patient now I'm like knocking on 30s door like yeah well then you'll be the fun 30s patient. Eh, hopefully I mean that's my goal I'm, I mean my, if you're if you're fun then you're fun that the rest I of it doesn't fun. matter right yeah this exactly is true. this is true it's just you know you just you want the doctors to like you you kind of have to have the doctors and the nurses like you mm. and it's a and sometimes you're just not likable in the hospital. Lots of people are not likable in the hospital. Sure. Yeah. And you're so in pain. That, you're in discomfort. Absolutely. That concerns me for, for a lot of care, not necessarily myself, but just, yeah, that's a thing that's always in my brain. It's like, mm. how are others being treated? Like, this is my experience, but it's not everybody's. Yeah. And also it seems like you're being mindful of the people who are taking care of you and that they're getting good care in the sense that like they're around good people and that they're enjoying that experience of taking care of you too. The fact that you're mindful of that, you know, that's probably like going the extra mile, right? Because they signed up for it. (laughs) But it's also like, that is one way to exercise some level of, um, if not privilege, then, you know, influence in some way, if you are, you know, make yourself amenable. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I think that is important. I think I try to tell people that I talk with, like if they're concerned about a doctor's appointment that they're going to, or they're having a terrible hospital stay or whatever it is that we're, you know, talking about. I'm like, number one, remember that they're humans too. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes they forget. Yeah. Like really. The system doesn't rig- exactly, it's rigged against them and against us. Isn't it? Yes. And they, you know, typically they're able to fix problems. That's mm-hmm. what they're taught to do. And when you, have a problem and it's a chronic problem. There is no fixing it. Right. And sometimes I think doctors like still expect themselves to fix the thing. And it's like, but 
honey. <laughs> yeah. No. Like someone wants to be the doctor house, the one to be able to fix yeah. it, right? Like find the answer. Exactly. And so, you're like, no, no, we have the answer. This is just how it is. <laughs> exactly. And I, I've had that conversation with doctors a lot of times, just like, mm. you know, they'll come in and they're like, they're just scratching their head. And I'm like, well, what, what, what's the problem? And they're like, yeah. well, I just don't know what blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like we're just dealing with this acute issue. Yeah. You don't need to fix the whole shebang. Like, right. You've yeah. accepted that. Yes. And now they need to. That's yes. very interesting. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so let's just dig into one very big can of worms as briefly as we can here with oh our healthcare system. Oh. Um, obviously you've grown up in the healthcare system, right? And I'm wondering if you can identify, particularly given your own experience, ways in which it works for patients and ways in which it's failing us and maybe, you know, creative solutions that have come to you over the years. What's really tricky is that I, I came from Dallas hmm. healthcare and now here I am, I am in Fayetteville, like Arkansas healthcare. Mm. And they're so, so, so different. Right. Um, in Dallas, I feel like it's so big. It's so concentrated. And in big cities like that, I feel like it's that way. I mean, they have like the best of the best because that's where they need to be, right? Mm. I guess. I don't know. Um, but I feel like they they're less likely to listen because mm. they think they know more because they have the authority of having a large hospital's name yeah. behind them behind them. Um, so that's stressful, but, but I definitely feel better taken care of when I'm there. So it, there's more access to more services. Yes. Mm. So it's like kind of a win lose. It's a double edged sword that one. Yeah. And it's the same, it's the opposite double edged sword here. Because mm. I can go to the doctor, I can go to the hospital, like to the ER, if something's wrong. And I pretty much, they're like, okay, what do they normally do for this? And I'm oh. like, they do they this. They ask for your input. Yes. Mm. Because they don't know. Right. <laughs> like, so it's like, it'd be nice if they knew more, but also it's great mm-hmm. that they're open to your thoughts. Yeah. But then also like, sometimes you're wrong and sometimes it's yeah. not the normal. And sometimes they need to look for something else. Yep. And that's when things can get really scary. Last fall, I had a central line infection Mm. and the doctors here. No idea. The, the, the cultures, like my blood cultures were coming back positive, Mm. but then they would say, oh, but that's a, that's a uh, contamination from the lab. This happened like six times. Yeah. That's not a contamination in the lab guys. Exactly. Yeah. So finally my Dallas doctor was like, get down here. They're mm. crazy. <laughs> Never go back there again. Like, um, yeah. Cause I got down there and they were like, um, no, like you need help here. Right. So, so you ended up getting treatment for that infection in Dallas. Yes. So you do maintain these connections in both places for mm-hmm. different things. And you're sort of working the system your way. Yes you know, when you need to, which is great. I mean, that's the way to do it, right? Like you've kind of personalized your healthcare in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. I love my PCP here. She'll, you know, she'll be in communication with my doctor in Dallas. Um, like I go to a Dallas doctor appointment in a couple weeks. Um, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of, it's like, it's like five hour drive and that's where all my family is. So I have places to stay and get to see them. So 
it's, it's better that way. I know a lot of people don't have that luxury to, you know, cause paying for a hotel and all transportation and all that, that's, it's a lot. It adds up yeah. real quick. Um, yeah. And then you never get to go on real vacation. <laughs> I know. So. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like, and then how do you find wellness and how do you like mm-hmm. find self-care when yeah. you don't have the resources to do it anymore? Cause you've spent it all on traveling for your health. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which is, that's a conundrum in this community and that's for sure. And yeah. you're also working to try and solve that. So um, we're, we're heading toward the end of our interview. Okay. And I like to end with these top three lists. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering what your top three tips would be for someone who suspects they got something off. Maybe they already have a diagnosis and they know that they're living with chronic illness. Um, what would you recommend to people who are looking at a lifetime as a patient, maybe already are a lifetime patient? What are your tips for them? Yeah. I've kind of, these are ones that I did write down. Um, These are things that Mm -hmm. we've talked about today, like in our talk today. Absolutely. My first one, my first one is to never Google things. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Now that we have Google. (laughs) Yeah. And everyone knows that. They know it to an extent, but they don't always know it deep down. It doesn't stop us when it's the only place to get answers sometimes. I know. I know, but with so many actual humans who are living with these conditions, I feel like it's so much better to like form these connections with others who are dealing with something similar than to like go read some who knows what that's been published on the Absolutely. internet. Absolutely. Because unless you have a good bullshit monitor or you're able mm-hmm. to tell yeah. or, or, or unless you know what your trusted news sources are, right. And exactly. the world of fake news and because anything can be published on the internet, <laughs> right. Like we, well, we, live, world we live in the post-truth world, right. We're, like that's yes! the world post-truth. So, um, ironic as it is <laughs> for those of us <laughs> who are seeking truth, like, you know, you do have to, you either have to know, okay, I trust the Mayo Clinic. So if they have an article about it, let me see what they've got to say, but know that like, I probably won't trust you know, mm-hmm. whatever it is, like webdoc.com slash US or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah, maybe I won't or trust like, that source because I don't know it, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so that's one. So don't Google what else. But it also definitely takes time to figure out what those sources are. So, yep. you know, be patient with yourself. And, and um, also give yourself the time to find those sources because there yeah. are some good sources out there. Yeah, there really are. Yeah. Um, my next one was to find good doctors. Remember that they're humans um, mm-hmm. to get second opinions. I feel like that's pretty self-explanatory, but that remembering they're humans is yeah. so important. Yeah. So important. Like not to say you have to take everything they say with a grain of salt, but you kind of do mm. like, I don't know. Um, I don't, I will straight up tell my doctor I know you want me to take rounds of antibiotics every month because that's all you've been told to do for this. Mm. I don't think it works. I'm not going to do it. I'm doing fine without it. And she's like, yeah, you're right. Like, that's all I know. Yeah. It doesn't do anything for you. Let's see what happens. You know, just have those conversations. Remember they're human. They want they want to talk with, I mean, well, some don't, but yeah. find a doctor who will talk <laughs> most to you. Most of them do though. Like most of them are doing it because yeah. they really care. Yeah. 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 So have those hard, have those conversations that you think may be a little tricky. Um, if you need to have somebody there with you, like 
do it, you know, just have your list of questions and so be prepared to communicate. Remember they're humans. Yeah. 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 Mm. And then, um, my third was to learn to be your best own best advocate, which we talked Mm. about too. Yeah. But that's, Um, I mean, but that's easier said than done, right? Like there are a lot of ways that you can empower yourself to do that. And some of those ways are, you know, like finding advocates like you out there who are really like, here's how I live it. Feel free Mm -hmm. to copy and paste, (laughs) you know, copy and paste. Yes. Yes. yes, yes. Um, (laughs) work smarter, not harder guys. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like taking notes, remembering things, holding yourself accountable, which leading by terrible example when I like wouldn't weigh myself, like, don't do that. Like right. take care of yourself. Right. Um, Although yeah, I can and understand like for, for a lot of like, if people have like, you know, dysfunctional relationships with food and eating and body image, mm-hmm. like, yeah, don't weigh yourself. Like that's when not to weigh yourself. But if it's, oh, okay. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. have to know that you're at a healthy weight and find out your 80 pounds when you need to be 120. Like that's mm-hmm. when a scale is a handy Tool. Yeah, that that wasn't only for weighing yourself. You know, just yeah. like all all the things. Just just take yeah. care of you. Yeah. Um, and if you're unable to appoint someone else who can do those things for yeah, you, yeah, absolutely. So. That's really smart. And actually, right along that note, if you're really terrified of scary mail, like I am, hmm. have somebody that can open it for you and read it before and like kind of digest it for you. That's kind of a side note, but that's a thing that I like to have happen. Like if I get a thing from social security that I know is stressed, like it just stresses me out. Like their wording, all of it. Just like, Hey friend, can you just like read this quick and like, give me a little rundown. Let me know if it's bad, good, medium, usually. And then it also gives you a sounding board. Yes. The Hey friend, you know, to sort of be like, well, here's why that's shitty. And Oh gosh, that sucks. Or here's why. Yay. And let's have a celebration, you know, like, yeah. So that's where it's like, bring your community in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, what about, okay, this is a fun top three. This is always my favorite because it's really unpredictable what people will say. Yes. Two, three things that give you total unbridled joy that you're unwilling to compromise on, despite the fact that you've had to make lifestyle adjustments to manage your symptoms. So these can be like cheats, like whether it's that piece of pizza you have to squeeze out of your G-tube later, you know, or mm-hmm. guilty pleasures or secret indulgences, comfort activities, if you're like having more pain than usual, but especially if they sort of interfere with your treatment, what are your top three? I will not compromise. I love it. Never going to stop it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> so my first one is I love a good Cosmo. That's uh-huh. my drink. Um, I I don't drink regularly, but, um, a lot of people, I think, assume that when you're on TPN, like you can't drink because of like liver situation, but (laughs) you're here to tell us you can. (laughs) I've never been told that that wasn't allowed. I mean, obviously like I've asked and they're like, well, I mean, don't drink 14 cups a day. I mean, (laughs) you know, I mean, you know, when you ask those hard questions, like be prepared for a hard answer or, or not, or it's kind of just like Like a, I don't know. Just, you know, you live your life. That's kind of the answer I've gotten. So, um, I don't know. So there's that one. Um, actually I just mentioned the, the refusing to take those rounds of antibiotics that people, (laughs) that people do with my diagnosis. Um, I, I've just, my body's pretty much proven that it's not necessary. So I, I, I'm just not going to do it. Um, I didn't write a third one. I like, what are some of my rules I break? 
Uh, <laughs> well, maybe so, you do it. You know, some people don't even have three. And it doesn't even have to be rules you break. It can also be like things you do when you feel like shit that give you joy. You know, like maybe I have my heating blanket or I have a bath or whatever it is, you know? I did just think of a rule that I do, I have been very known to break. This was before I had my tube. So this is kind of like a, a few years ago, Lauren, but it's a really good one. So mm. when I would be in the hospital and I'd be in PO, so no food by mouth, mm. I would make them bring me an ice pack. And in the hospital, the ice packs have legit ice in them, right? So <laughs> it's like that weird, I don't know. I'm sure every hospital has different ones, but it's like this like long bag and they put ice in it and it has this little clip on it. Okay. Mm. Well, I would have them bring me one and then I would like lay on it to make it melt. And then I would open it up and drink the water. Don't, oh God, <laughs> why am I telling you guys this? So like lukewarm water that has been warmed by your body. Or no, you not no. Water at the time? No. Well, yeah, I was in PO, like in the hospital. Right, so not, not even water when you're in PO. No. Wow. And um, no, it was not lukewarm because it was ice water. So I would just yeah. melt it so that, that the ice would melt a little bit. And then it would be like ice Icy cold. Water delicious water yeah and then like in the like later in the night or whatever like I just put some water in it like it had melted and be like <laughs> hey I need a new ice pack <laughs> so this was a naughty but treat. yeah it was but I was also connected to suction so it was like I didn't really understand because eventually I told my doctor I was like yeah I've definitely been drinking she was like your output is out of control and I was like <laughs> I know. I yeah. just, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I got thirsty. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. But that's, that's a pretty funny one. So. Yeah. Hey, I like it. I like it. We all have our refreshing things that we do. <laughs> yeah. Drinking out of ice packs in the hospital is That's perfect. the way to do it. Well, Lauren, tell everyone listening where they can find you. So I am at Pretty Couch Potato on Instagram. I also have a Pretty Couch Potato page on Facebook. If you're not an Instagrammer, um, I pretty much just share what I share on Instagram there. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it'll be pretty cash potato.com still. Um, mm-hmm. whether or not it's still pretty cash potato.com or it's the club, um, it will still it'll be, be the same URL. Website. That's yeah, really great. Still be there. Yeah. We'll keep that, that link alive. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Lauren, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been so great. Like finally meeting you, getting to chat with you, getting to know who you are. And I can't wait to yes. meet you at a retreat. <laughs> I know. I'm so excited about those. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.